Hello, and welcome to my podcast, Good Grief. My name is Dr. Christine Malone, and in this podcast, we talk about trauma, tragedy, and survival. In each episode, I will interview someone that has gone through grief in some way, and we will discuss the impact it has had on their life. By sharing these stories, we hope that others won't feel alone should they be going through similar situations. Enjoy. Okay, thank you all for joining us, listeners. Um, my guest tonight is going to introduce herself and tell us a little bit about who she is. Hey guys, my name is Leanna and I'm 40 years old. I was actually in um, a couple of Christine Malone's classes. Great teacher. Um, thank you for having me on your, your podcast, Christine. I appreciate you being here. So you share with me a little bit about your childhood and your parents and some of their struggles with substances. So tell us a little bit about what that was like growing up as a child in that household. Uh, well, um, I grew up in a household where, you know, I was loved by both my mother and my father. Um, you know, um, they both were alcoholics and, um, I, I know for a fact, my father had used cocaine. Um, I don't know if my mother had or not. Um, it's kind of wishy-washy story on, on when I ask her, she says no, but you know, come on, if your father's doing it, is, is your mother not doing it with your father? You know what I mean? So, you know, I, I've already left that alone. It's, it's been under the carpet. And um, my father got busted for drugs, for cocaine um, at a restaurant that him and my mother had worked at um, in Florida. And um, I remember um, my father coming home with an ankle box on his leg. And um, she uh, said, you know, your, your dad can't uh, go anywhere, can't do anything. Um, and I'm like, okay. Um, so, I mean, I, I was young at the time. My father passed when I was 12. So I don't remember what year he, he had to go to jail or anything like that. But um, I do remember some of it, very vague. Um, and then, I, you know, I grew up in that, that kind of environment for a while. Um, you know, both my parents continued to drink and my parents got a divorce. Um, I'm pretty sure it had to do with the alcohol consumption, um, either from my mother or my father. I don't know. Obviously, I was a child, didn't really know what was going on back then. Um, and then my father passed away of a heart attack at the age of 45. Um, he went to work, wasn't feeling good, went to the doctor. And from what I was told, it was a, a new doctor right out of school. And my father said he had pains on the left side of his chest. He went home. He took a nap, fell asleep. And then, you know, of course, I'm telling the story of what I was told. Um, probably about 30 minutes later, his uh, mother, my Nana, came into the door with her um, her sister and brother-in-law and uh, tried to wake him up. And he didn't wake up. So there was an autopsy done and had found out that, you know, he had a heart attack and um, they ruled it that it was a malpractice lawsuit um, that the doctor didn't do the right thing. And so, so where did that go? Did anybody file a lawsuit against the doctor? Yes. Yes. My mother filed lawsuit and it uh, she won and it was out of court, you know, filed out of court. And so she won. Um, and so, you know, at that time, the money was put in a fund for me to go to school and stuff like that. And um, at that time um, living in the area that I lived in, um, I was bused away to a different, uh, neighborhood at that time, though, the white children were not allowed to go to the school closest to where they lived. I got bused to the, the, uh, black neighborhood. 
And so um, I ended up going to a school in Fort Pierce, Florida, and was getting heavily picked on by children. And so after that, my mother said, no, we can't do this anymore. And, you know, with that money that was used from the lawsuit, she had put me in a private Christian school. <laughs> so I went from a, uh, an AB student in public school to a failing DF student real quick in a private Christian school. You cannot throw a child into a uh, private Christian school coming from public at that age. It was it was a train wreck. Yeah, that's hard. Um, so yeah. mom, and mom, I think you told me mom continued to drink. She was still an alcoholic even after that. Right. Yes. She continued her behavior. Yeah. Um, she was bartender and uh, continued her behavior of drinking and whatnot. And after my father had passed, my grandmother had moved up to help take care of me because, you know, she had to work nights. And, you know, I went to go to school during the daytime and grandma was there 24 seven to help, you know, raise me. Um, and then uh, my mom came out here and uh, to visit her two best friends. They all went to school in Miami together. They introduced her to a gentleman. Um, she came back to Florida, thought she was in love. We packed up our stuff after their three month conversations of this, that, and the other over the phone. And then we moved out here my mother and I moved out here. Um, it's, it's a total, it was a totally different lifestyle going from Florida to Washington state, you know, the scenery for sure. And, you know, just how people act or whatever, um, out here is different. And so she continued her alcoholism, um, and then at one point in time, she found out she had hep C and uh, stopped drinking and uh, became a pastor's secretary, stopped bartending and became a pastor's secretary and gave her life over to the Lord, um, which I firmly believe. And, you know, she really doesn't like this when I say this, but unfortunately, my father had to die for my mother to live. Um, that's just the way that I see it, because if she would have continued her drinking in Florida, I would be without both parents right now. So, um, it, it's just a hard truth and realization that I don't think she will ever come to face. Um, but you know, I faced it and, you know, that's just how it was supposed to be, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, we're all born and we die. And, um, you know, I firmly believe what we do from the time of birth, obviously when we get older to the time we die is what we make of it. And, you know, we who we are today is what we've gone through in life, Christine. Yeah. And you know, I've been through a lot of crap. And I um, I also I also agree that things happen for a purpose. So oh um, yes, when you mentioned your mom, and, and now how is she today? Is she still still free of alcohol and doing well? Oh yeah, she's she's still free of alcohol. Correct. Um, you know, she's retired now. Um, you know, just relaxing. You know, I mean, she doesn't really do much. But yeah, no, she, she's, she's, um, alcohol free. She's healthy. So. Good, good. Now I know, um, cause I met you, um, several years ago, but I, I know that as an adult, you then suffered some, um, emotional, mental issues of your own, uh, that may or may not be connected to how you were raised or the experiences you had as a child, but tell our listeners a bit about, you know, what happened to you when you felt like you were becoming overwhelmed. Right. So um, I would have to say back in like, I think it was like 2018, um, I had left the, the guy that I was with for nine years. Um, and I was, you know, I was a single mom. My daughter right now is just turned 21. And so uh, the relationship was coming toward an end. And I said, I can't do this anymore. And I left him and uh, moved my daughter 
um, and myself out of the house. He was living into an apartment. And so, you know, it's just me and my daughter. And um, I continued to work in the medical field as a medical assistant. Um, and prior to that, I had neck surgery. So I was now looking at a possible second neck surgery and had to quit my job and have my second neck surgery. And in the process, met a guy, dated him. Um, and then after I had my neck surgery, I kind of fell into some anxiety and depression, was getting some, you know, panic attacks and stuff like that. And he decided he didn't, the guy that I was dating at the time decided that he didn't want to be a part of it. Um, so he let, you know, he, we broke up and uh, something happened to my brain. And, um, you know, I don't know exactly what it was, what it was called. Um, I would definitely call it a mental breakdown because I fell into some serious depression, serious anxiety. And um, I had some suicide thoughts. I mean, it was never... It was never to the point where I knew I was going to do it. I wasn't going to kill myself, but the thoughts were there, you know, um, which is weird because I, you know, you know me, Christine, you know how much of a happy person I am. And uh, it just, I guess my brain just shut down and said, no, this is, this is not what we're doing right now. We're going to flip a switch. And so I went through some counseling and they tried different medications on me and I got sick to my stomach. Everything they, they decided to prescribe me, just, it wasn't happening. Um, and so for two and a half years, um, I was in this, I want to call it brain fog of reality of the fact that I couldn't leave the house. I was having panic attacks. I didn't want to go to the grocery store. I mean, it was bad. It was really bad. And it wasn't me. It was not the person who I am now today. Um, and I had to move in with my mother and my daughter had to, at 11th grade, my daughter had to go move in with her father. And, um, you know, my mom, my mom definitely was there for me for that time, the two and a half years. And somehow I snapped out of it and I don't know how I snapped out of it. I don't remember exact date when I snapped out of it, uh, but I did. And um, decided right after that, that it wasn't a good idea for me to go back into the medical field right then and there, because I wanted to make sure hundred percent that I was hundred percent healed mentally and physically um, to be able to take care of somebody else. So I took a retail job and did that for about a year and a half. Um, and then thought to myself, wait a minute, what am I doing? This is not my passion is not retail. My passion is to be in the healthcare field and take care of other people. So that's when I turned around and decided to go back into healthcare again. Right. So I know that where you're working now, you do like mental assessments on patients and so on. So tell us a little bit about what your job is and, um, the type of patients that you take care of. Okay. So, um, I work at a pain clinic, pain management clinic right now. And um, they just decided uh, back in October that they were going to incorporate like the um, the mental health assessments, which is like the uh, PHQ-9 and the CES. Um, and the reason why they're doing that is because there's a lot of patients that are there that, you know, are different ages. They can't work anymore. So some of them are actually, you know, depressed because they can't do what they they love to do for their jobs. So the uh, clinic has decided that. Um, this is a definite way that we can help, you know, our patients out. And if they score certain numbers on the, the ratings for these pages that the providers are allowed to prescribe antidepressants for these patients to help them to, you know, make them feel better. So they, you know, they can move on with their life and, um, you know, take care of business and however they, they need to see fit for their families and for themselves. So 
given your your experience with the 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 depression and what you call the mental breakdown, how do you think that impacts your work with these patients that you take care of now? Um, I would have to say that since I've been there and done that, I can definitely I definitely have a lot of compassion for these patients. Um, you know, I know what depression is, I know what anxiety is, and I know what you know the suicide feeling is. Um, and I know what pain is. I mean, I've had seven different surgeries on my body, you know, and I remember like when I first started working there, there was a patient that looked at me and said, oh, well, you don't know what pain is really like. How do you know? And I said, excuse me, you know, and I, I pointed right to my neck. I said, listen, I've had two major neck surgeries. I've had a shoulder surgery from working in healthcare. I know what pain is like. And he kind of scoured down in a seat and said, oh, whoops, I'm sorry. I probably shouldn't have said that. I said, it's okay. Don't worry about it. I said, you're in a lot of pain right now. And I know when you're in a lot of pain, um, sometimes you get angry and sometimes you get triggered. So it's, it's not, it's not a big deal. It's okay. I, I mean, I totally understand, you know, um, and now working in this, this line of work and going through these mental health assessments. I mean, I do it every single day. I work, uh, you know, four tens and I, and I'm like a parrot. I repeat the same thing over and over again, every, you know, 15, 20 to, you know, an hour with these patients, you know, rooming them and stuff like that. And now that I, that I'm seeing pain and I'm seeing, you know, mental health things. And I've, I've gone through, you know, mental health and pain myself, Christine, now that I know that, you know, I think, you know, I'm going to say God, because I firmly believe in Jesus and God, that he has now definitely led me in the direction of changing from, uh, you know, being a medical assistant, um, working in that field to doing uh, psychology. And I really want to, I'm going to pursue, hopefully in the fall, going back to college to get my bachelor's degree and master's degree, <clears throat> excuse me, in psychology, because I now have been there, done that, and I want to help people. I definitely want to help people. And there's been such a need for counselors um, since the pandemic. I mean, I've talked to multiple people in different fields of the medical field and psychology and stuff like that. And they're in dire need right now for counselors. They can't, they can't get enough of them. There's so many patients and not enough counselors. And there was a patient that was sitting in the office two weeks ago and he just started a conversation with me. He's like, Hey, do you know of any counselors in the air? I really need one. He said, because I've been calling for six weeks now. I can't get a hold of anybody because there's nobody, you know? And I really felt sorry for him because he just sat there and basically told me his life story. I mean, I'm a stranger. I don't know him. He don't know me. And he just started talking, you know? And then two weeks after that, I'm talking to this lady in the grocery store and she's in tears. She's crying because she's in an abusive relationship and she's talking to me. I don't know her. She don't know me. So I'm thinking, all right, okay, God, now I see that, you know, you're putting people in my life and you're showing me this is definitely where I need to be right now in life. I need to be a counselor. Yeah. And, you know, you're I'm smiling as I listen to you because I don't remember how long ago it was that I met you, but I remember telling you that there was greatness in your future and that you needed to continue to go on your path and find out what that was. And I knew it wasn't um, just medical assisting. And I don't mean to disparage that profession because that's a great profession, but I knew right spaces you were going and people that you could impact. I saw that long ago and I'm so happy that you're on that path. So um, one thing that a lot of people say that I think is very true um, is the comment that um, the root of all addiction is pain. So coming from parents who had addiction, my guess is they had pain they were trying to cover up. Um, and now you work in the pain clinic. So how do you think having a background with parents who dealt with addiction has helped you dealing with people who are struggling with 
pain management, which may or may not be related to issues they can or cannot deal with. Hmm. I'm not quite exactly sure how to answer that. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm yeah, just thinking, I some of the people you take care of, I'm sure they have physical pain from injuries and so on. Right. But right. I know I've met people in pain management who do not have an injury. They simply have pain. Maybe it's um, fibromyalgia or whatever. And, and a lot right. of providers feel like, well, you know, that manifested from some kind of, of, of thing that you need to deal with that's, that's coming forth in, in pain. So again, pain, driving, addiction, so on. So I have a lot of pain from this issue I haven't dealt with. Mm -hmm. So I'm now going to want to take medications to, to mask that and so on. So I'm just curious in your, in your work with people who are in pain management, do you see anyone who you feel like needs to be addressing maybe addiction issues or uh, counseling or something? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, like, you can, you know, I kind of get a feeling you can see, I mean, sometimes you can physically see, you know, somebody walking with a cane or they're in a wheelchair and stuff like that. I mean, that's, that's, you know, blatantly obvious. Um, but through working at this facility for the past, you know, going on almost four months now, um, you know, you, you can, cause they also, the, the prescribers also prescribe, um, oh, suboxone and methadone. Mm -hmm. to try to wean them off of, you know, the pain pills. Cause some of these patients have been on it for years yeah. and, you know, it's just getting to the point where <clears throat> they don't really need it anymore and they're feeling better. And so, you know, the pro providers just go ahead and, and make a decision to, you know, try to wean them down and put them on. It's, it's primarily methadone um, that they do um, to help the patients out. Um, but yeah, uh, so you know, you, I, I think. I guess what I want to know is, do you feel like your experience as a child of um, substance abusers, that you are more or less um, empathetic toward the patients you work with? Um, I would obviously say I'm more empathetic, but I think I think that that I'm more empathetic because of you know, what I've personally gone through. I don't oh. think it's really got anything to do with the childhood um, that has brought me this far to, to help people. I think it's the, the actual, you know, I've gone through the depression. I've gone through the anxiety. I've gone through the suicide. I've right. gone through the pain. So, um, get it. Yeah, no, I get that. I, I mean, I, I've been there, done that at the age of 40 now going to be 41 this year. Um, that's where I can relate myself to what happened to me to the you know the, the patients i know they're in pain i know they've had surgeries i know that they've been on pills you know i've taken pain pills myself but i know when to put it down i use it for the sole purposes of surgery some people christine and we know we're in healthcare um some people can't you know some patients can't do that and they abuse and, and overuse you know prescription drugs mm -hmm. that's why there's such a huge crisis in america with that now the whole fentanyl crisis yeah. um you know, and, um, but the clinic I work at, they are very, very on it about how many pills they're prescribing to the patients. I mean, the patients come in, they have to sign a pain contract that says, no, you can't, you know, you can't do this. You can't do that. You can't refill before this date. Um, because the prescribers are not going to prescribe them any more pills. You have to follow the rules. 
And for the most part, I have seen them with the patients that I take care of. They're following the rules. They're doing what they're doing. They're supposed to go to physical therapy. They're following through with that. You know, they're doing everything that they're supposed to be required to do, you know, to help themselves get better. Some of the patients that can get better um, and some of the patients that are never going to be better and they're going to be in chronic pain for the less, you know, the rest of their life. They're on those pills. They're taking those pills um, like they're supposed to be doing. And, you know, we can only pray and hope that, um, you know, they continue to uh, take care of themselves properly. Yeah. So I'd like to hear if you can tell our, our listeners um, any advice that you might have. So I, I, especially about your own mental health issues where you have the, the mental breakdown and mm-hmm. suicidal mm-hmm. ideations and so on. Um, I mean, you had a lot of stuff going in your favor at that time and it still happened to you. So what, what would you say if you start feeling that way, what would you tell someone, you know, Hey, do this or don't do that or get in touch with this. What would you say? Right. Um, I would definitely say, I mean, if if you're, if you're, you know, if you're starting to get really overwhelmed in life and there's like one thing after another and after another and after another, which I thought I could handle. I mean, shoot, you know, I was, I was two and a half pounds. Christine, when I was born, I was born a fighter. I haven't stopped. And I've had people say that to me too. Um, you know, I didn't know I was going to have a mental breakdown. I didn't see it coming. Obviously it just happened. Um, so my suggestion would be don't, don't be afraid to reach out to, you know, your doctor. Um, if you're going through some things and it's like one thing after the other, and you're getting overwhelmed, the first second you think you're starting to get overwhelmed and too much is being on your plate, go to a counselor. You know, you don't necessarily have to be put on medication, but take the first step and initiate, talk to your PCP. See if they can set you up with a counselor, go to counseling, talk about it, you know, um, maybe start journaling, start writing, which I'm going to start doing. I want to write a book about my life and maybe it'll help somebody else, but, or find a friend, find somebody you trust in. That's not going to go blab to anybody else. Talk to somebody about what you're going through because you need to talk to somebody to get it out, to get, to get out what's going on in your life. Uh, Cause you don't know, maybe um, they're going through the same thing. Or they've got different ideas because, you know, how we handle situations in life might not be the same way someone else might handle it. So talking it out with somebody might be like, okay, well, that's a great deal. I didn't think of it that way. So maybe I should try it that way instead of the way that I'm doing it. You know, I mean, there's there's no book in life that says, hey, you know, if this happens, this is what you need to do to figure it out. You know, we're all put here on this earth to, you know, um, get from point A to point B, take care of each other. We'll hopefully take care of each other. Because if you're in the medical field, you are taking care of people. Um, you know, we're primarily here to put on earth to help people, Christine. Uh, you do it. I know you do it. Um, you've gone through a lot of things in your life. And, um, you know, under the under the the carpet here, you've done and said things um, to help me that you don't know. That, uh, you know, we've, re- re- you know, we've remained friends and stuff like that. But, um, you know, we're all we're all here to help each other. And, you know, just reach out to people primarily to, to just get help. Don't uh, don't think you're alone in this because everybody's got things that are going on in their life and there's there's help out there. Um, probably not enough right now. And that's, like I said, a reason why I'm going to be, you know, going going to school to become a psychologist. But just just talk to somebody. I mean, if you can't get into a counselor, talk to somebody that you really trust. Yeah, you're hitting on a thing that I have harped, harped on for years, which is, you know, you're not alone and share your experiences with someone else and someone you can trust someone you feel like you can uh, share with and not be judged because 
we all have those moments of, of weakness. And I remember at times in my life when I was so depressed and feeling suicidal that I couldn't share that because I didn't want anybody to report me and have me, you know, committed to a hospital. When in reality, I really just needed somebody to just hear my pain and help me get to a spot where I didn't feel that way anymore to, to help me realize that there are other people in the same situation. I'm not alone. I'm not the only one going through this thing who has gone through this thing. I'm not special. I'm, I'm, I'm a member of a group and I can reach out to those people and find out who and what I am. So I appreciate that, that commentary. Cause I think that's extremely important. And as you know, it's the reason I got into teaching. So um, I am so excited to hear about you going back to school to <laughs> pursue higher levels, because as I mentioned, I saw that a long time ago and I appreciate you being here and look forward to hearing more about you as you keep moving on with your career. Thank you. I appreciate it, Christine. Thank you for listening to this episode of Good Grief. To hear more about my personal story, please pick up a copy of my book, The Day I Became the Spider Killer, a memoir of trauma, tragedy, and survival, available in paperback, Kindle, and Audible via Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and other online book retailers.